Oh, good lord, no. Do you know what name is now increasingly popular in, like, the white conservative middle class that lives in, like, bumfuck nowhere? No. People are naming their children Gunner. I, like, know a couple kids named Gunner through, like, reenacting. And it's a very specific demographic that names their children Gunner. Yeah, I feel like, yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. I, not just Gunner, but, like, really any, any, like, hey, doer of things, you know, um, Hunter. Um, fucker. You know, like, it's... Hunter is the big one. Yeah. I feel like Gunner, like, in order to be named Gunner, you have to be born while Fortunate Son is playing. In Vietnam, yes. Yeah, in Vietnam. Well, speaking of Vietnam, uh... That coincides nicely with what we're going to talk about today. Hello, everybody. For sure, for sure. Welcome to Uncommon Sense. This is a podcast where we're supposed to be talking about our American heritage and in ways that are not necessarily respectful, but are always fun and hilarious. My name's Ime, and I once punched a mall Santa. On to you, uh, Jerry or JJ. That was, you've been thinking about that one. That was too quick. You were ready. Yes, oh, I, I had it prepared. I was prepared this morning. Oh, good God. Um, okay. Yeah, all right. Neato. Um, hi, my name is JT, and I can't feel the same part of both of my feet. Got it. Uh... My name is Jerry, and I cannot often read and speak at the same time. Interesting. Can you not read out loud? Oh, now, see, if we ask about it, then it's going to defeat the validity of when he reveals later. We can't He's talk about it. He's to ask me later. Just trying to be an don't ask, don't journalist. Tell. But okay. I understand. That's I understand. fine. We can move on. So today's topic is going to be... As More at 11. Uh-huh. <laughs> as suggested by... <laughs> The JT, we're going to talk about counterculture today and the origins of counterculture in America. So before we officially begin delivering all the useful nuggets of information, do either of you, like, we discuss, like, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear counterculture in conjunction with American history? Generally, I think of, um, I think of the punk movement that came out of the 70s. Um, I think of, uh, grunge in the nineties. I think of emo in the early to mid two thousands, um, people with colored hair, um, putting metal on parts of their face where it generally is not thought to go. Um, their dad coming in and say, Hey, you sport, uh, what do you, what do you throw a ball? And Fuck you, dad. Ugh! That's, you know, very, stuff like that. Very, very twisted sister. Very twisted sister. Fucking A, right. Tipper Gore burning hell. Go ahead, Jerry. I think of, like, you know, marble, maybe granite, uh, oak in some places. I just have, like. What are you saying? Yeah, you know, like, like, like a like white counter. counter. Uh, JT, you're <laughs> over two at this point. 
fucking yeah. Jerry, you're such a clever dad. Oh man, I am hysterical, and that's just as far as that goes. That's all I have to say about that. You fuck. Well, so actually, I think that that we should define counterculture and be specific here. Um, yeah. Not kitchen countertops, but what we're talking about are you know formative moments in the socio-political <laughs> sphere of American history in which generations have risen to defy social norms and you know obviously that phenomenon has been permeating all probably probably all cultures in in various points in the timeline but um according to my research it specifically became uh, a very specific very well-known um you know trend not trend but but an observable thing that was going on that was observed as such in the American 1960s. And it really started when, um, so in the 1960s, let me set the scene for you, an extremely politically and sociologically turbulent time in American history that I actually think in many ways is analogous to the things that we're seeing in the sociopolitical sphere in today's times. And specifically back then, you know, there was a lot to do with, integrationist and segregation, uh, the civil rights movement, and there was the war in the onset of the war in Vietnam. So there was a lot of commentary surrounding that. So it was a very politically charged time and the younger generation had uh, a lot of choice sentiments that they were using various avenues to make known. And uh, kind of a, a pattern that arose was that the younger generation would do things like grow their hair long and would have, um, they, they were much more ostentatious about eroticism and sex. And it had a lot to do with music. So it's a very packed, very uh, broad topic, but we're gonna try and kind of unpack a little bit of it today. And there's lots of different offshoots of it and ways that it manifests in decades subsequent to the 1960s and even before the 1960s of course there were multiple times we can pinpoint in which people were going against the grain and um you know in the 1950s teenagers kind of the rebellious teenager became an iconic image and people started that went in conjunction with um rock and roll which had a huge uprising in the 50s and 60s and even before that, there were uh, movements that were countercultural, such as like women sewing pockets to the outsides of their skirts to make a statement about feminism and all kinds of really interesting, fun stuff like that. So where it starts like with the, with the countercultural movement, I think it really culminated in like the first example of the, that was widespread and marked as counterculture were like the 1960s hippies. And um, that kind of started gaining traction early on in that decade when a very famous musical group kind of brought their gifts and their funk and their style over to America and just caused a huge splash. Does anybody have any guesses who I'm referring to? I didn't until you slipped into the accent. Famous, uh, musical group with very funny haircut fuck i can't okay yeah get it <laughs> yeah you get it you get it 
Yeah, see, I wanted to say the Grateful Dead, but they were American. It's not the Grateful Dead. It's the 1960s. No, for sure it's not. Right. What I said, anyway, it's the Beatles. The Beatles. Oh. Of course. Oh. Yes, the Beatles. Um, I think a, a specific Fucking moment Beatles. that was really formative for the countercultural movement in America, and I love how much of this has to do with music, and the specific moment was the Beatles came over and, and appeared on the Ed Sullivan show. And interestingly, like this kind of seems like a minute detail, but I actually think it was really important. The Beatles branded themselves very famously as having those funny haircuts where they kind of grew it out and had the bangs, and it was the, the Beatle cut. Uh, appropriately. And that hairstyle started becoming popular, but it was like, I think like maybe in our generation, doing funky things with our hair is much more normalized than it was, you know, 60 years ago. And so we don't think much of it now. But back then, there was a uniformity in hairstyles between men and women that was like very much, um, much more, um, you know, strictly enforced in, in society. And when the Beatles came over with their weird hair, it actually made a, quite a statement. And a lot of the American youth started growing out their hair, not just in the Beatles haircut, but even um, longer and shaggier. And the whole kind of image was defying materialistic cultural norms and expectations by looking unkempt and shaggy. And it kind of morphed into... Things like not worrying about brushing your teeth, not worrying about wearing deodorant, not women not wearing bras, and like kinds of these um, things that were normalized as hygienic practices, and the youth putting the middle finger up to it and saying, "I'm not going to conform to this because we're tired of, you know, I guess being told what to do," and that that so when a person had uh, specifically a young person had longish or shaggy hair or a generally unkempt appearance. It was making a statement towards their sociopolitical paradigms and nonconformity. And so I think that's interesting that, you know, ostensibly um, more minute, trivial aspects of a person, such as their taste in music and their hair and their hygienic practices, had, you know, and that wasn't the root of that, wasn't necessarily the ideology, but the physical kind of external presentations toward it, like indicating what your ideology was. You know what I mean? I just think that's interesting because it's like, Smaller details, but it meant a lot back then. Sure. You know. So. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I, I was I was just going to say, I think, um, you know, as far as things tying in so much with music, um, and I've been saying this in my personal life for a very long time, but I feel like music is, is something that you don't really need to know anything to understand like what it's about, like you don't need to know, um, you don't need to know why someone feels a certain way to know how they feel through, you know, their music. So you can, you can hear something in, um, so if we're still talking about the sixties, um, fortunate son was a very anti-war song was, you know, very, very, uh, outspoken against the Vietnam war. You didn't have to, really know what was going on to know that that was a, a very um i don't know what the word i'm looking for is like protesting kind of song you know like maybe it was it was somewhat in like a major key and there was like a happiness 
you know, to it sonically, but also not really. There was some level of like destitute. Um, well, I guess I'm kind of fucked just because like to it, you know, and I feel like that's something that, you know, younger people whose brains are very plasticized and, you know, they're still getting impressions on the world and they don't have hard ruts run into their their neural passages and, and so on and so forth. They're not so stubborn. They're more open to these new ideas of like, yeah, you know what? Fuck this war. You know what? Yeah, fuck this war. Um, and, and I think that's a lot of why it it catches on with the youth, you know, is because they're they're more susceptible to new ideas and, and they're more involved in the arts and consuming new things and, you know, things and, like that. Yeah, and the, I think the advent of certain technologies picking up steam in this era was definitely an important aspect of that. And uh, there was a lot of commentary specifically about communism at around this time. And a lot of people were fearful of like that. Um, people were conflating the economic system of communism like inextricably with um, authoritarianism and oppression. And because so many people were afraid of that coming over to the United States, um, there were there was famously like the Hayes Codes and certain laws that were very stringently used to weed out communism in artistic communities, uh, specifically in the movies. And a lot of people were upset about censorship in that time too. So in things like music and movies almost kind of became increasingly pornographic as a statement against this um, this sort of mode of censorship. And that was, you know, uh, definitely a harbinger of people wanting to defy, I guess, what was being perceived as like a new normal or as a forced, you know, silence upon artistic communities. And that kind of inevitably gave rise to these to these things in these statements. Um, so in the Vietnam War, since you mentioned war, we can, I think, you know, there's a lot to say. There's a lot to say about the Vietnam War. I guess baseline information, uh, I, I think simplistically you can summarize the Vietnam War in that there was the North Vietnamese and the South Vietnamese and the North was oppressing the South which wanted liberation and because America has been built on this ideology of revolutionizing and freedom, it in the minds of many people behooved America to come to the assistance of South Vietnam in liberating them from North Vietnam and it was kind of a, it was very similar to the Korean War in which South Korea was oppressed by North Korea and the Americans joined in the fight with the South Koreans to liberate them from the North Koreans and so this is the kind of the same thing with Vietnam uh, but the thing is this war uh, the, the North Korea our involvement there was only I think about three years it was very short. It didn't get a lot of media coverage, and it was very similar in a lot of ways to World War One, except it was not nearly as talked about. And um, we kind of withdrew quietly from that. So a lot of people kind of forget about the Korean War as it was smushed between World War Two and Vietnam. And Vietnam was similar ideologically, but it was much more blown up in the media, and it got so much coverage in such a way that was unique to wars in American history because for the most part when America has gone to war or joined a nation in war it was met with a lot of patriotism and nationalism and people supporting the cause of liberty and freedom and at this point those ideologies were patted down and superseded by 
contrasting ideologies of the wastefulness of war and of protests against war. And so this was the probably the most divisive, publicly divisive participation in a war that America had undergone since the War of 1812. And I would argue it was more divisive and certainly more pluralistic than the War of 1812 because it's been a long time since the War of 1812 and there's a lot more people, there's a lot more technology and a lot more spreading of information and a lot more people. And so America, especially the younger generation, was not down to clown with the Vietnam War. And this was, this, there, so there was a, a huge pushback on America's participation. And of course, the Vietnam very famously incorporated conscription into amassing its troops for the purpose of the Vietnam War. And that even that elevated tensions. So a big part of the counterculture of the 1960s was protesting the participation in the Vietnam War. And that was kind of um, in many ways new for America. There had not been so much pushback on such a thing before. Yeah, I, I think uh, that, go ahead, Jerry. Uh, sorry, mine has not very little to actually add to the topic. You, you go first. Oh, I was just going to say, I feel like the Vietnam War was um, very um, catalytic. Is that a word? Can I say yeah. that? Cata uh, catalytic. It was a catalyst. Yeah. Yes. Um, <clears throat> to the uh, very hippie-ish free love movement that we saw. You know, it was... It was um, it was people wanting peace, people wanting for us not to be entangled in a conflict that we were not provoked in. Really any conflict at all, I think these people were meaning to suggest, but especially one that like we just didn't we just didn't belong there to them. Um so it was all about free love and, you know, um flower children, you know, people people um very, very openly um, what's the word? Adorning themselves with flowers and, and things like that. Things that um, breed life and are, are very symbolic of the beauty of life that this war was meaning to destroy in their eyes. Um, yeah, I, th I think it is because of the Vietnam War that we have our modern um, definition of, of what a counterculture is. I would tend to agree. I think, um, or what I've heard, um, especially from testimonials from people that lived in the period, that this was the first time in American history that the advent or the concept of free love or just having sex for sex was becoming normalized and talked about fearlessly in a lot of circles. And um, I think this, this gave uprising, like, Sex was an eroticism were very padded down, very quiet um, aspects of life that did not permeate the pop culture at any time, really, at least um, in such a way that was normalized up until the 1960s. And this was a time when no, God, no. the kids who then were around our age in their 20s were fearlessly commentating about the idea that casual sex was okay and that pregnancy should not be feared. And I think, um, you know, I might be wrong about this, but I'm under the impression that that specific aspect of the countercultural movement in the 1960s actually gave rise to some more ostentatious commentaries on like birth control and um, contraception 
and things like that. Sure. And that has important yeah. feministic implications. And I think even things like the free love aspect of the 1960s counterculture kind of bled into subsequent decades of people um, supporting LGBT community rights. And I think you could see some of that commentary reflected, uh, especially in the 1980s. I think was there was a big kind of surge in awareness about that with things like the absolutely AIDS pandemic and um, the Stonewall. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I yes the the hippie subculture was was um, I don't like I know what I want to say when I go to say it. It's just it's getting the words from the back of my brain up to the to my mouth. I don't know how to do that too good. Uh, What's up, sorry, I'll, I'll give you some time this. with the buffer. My brain's stuck on this. Yes. I need to verbalize it or it's going to explode. Yes, sure. Um my my brain's just been stuck on the youth was not down the clown with Vietnam. Which shit. my brain then, you know did its thing, and it was just clowns in Vietnam. You motherfuckers. Specifically during the war. Specifically participating in the war. For fuck's sake. Uh, and I needed to share how my brain went down that path. Because I think until I did, I wouldn't be able to focus on anything else. I consent. That's that's funny. Um, I think that I think that because of the hippie, not to not to just. So we're going to ignore, ignore what you said, but here I go doing that, <laughs> despite the fact that I enjoyed that. Um, I think the hippie subculture got people um, into the idea of like normalizing the human body and, yeah. and human nature as a whole, right? You know, because I think, it, you know, at the time it was very taboo to be sexually open, to have casual sex, to um, not be straight. You know, I mean, nowadays, uh, like my girlfriend and I play a game where we sit down, you know, in like a room full of people. We count the straights. We see how many we can, you know, because they're almost always outnumbered every time. Uh, nowadays, um, at least it, it seems like in, in circles that I've been in. Yes. Yeah. God, yeah. You know, I mean, there's there's so many things that you can fall into other than straight. And for that, context, uh, you know, anymore, it's like the... Yeah, I was going to say, and for context, Go ahead, sorry. we, because I feel like comments about sexuality are always underpinned by, like, political pluralism, and we live in sure. a county and an area, so we live in Pennsylvania, and a lot of counties in Pennsylvania are just cousin fuck nowhere, so you can imagine that they're they're red, of course, but there's also a couple very urbanized, like, densely populated spots in Pennsylvania, specifically, like, Pittsburgh and Philadelphia and somewhere in the northwest, and we live in the Philadelphia region, outside of Philadelphia, um, in a county that is blue, and it's one of the more densely populated, urbanized places in Pennsylvania, and... Uh, a lot of the young people here are funky and and a lot and there's not a lot of straight people you know what i mean there's very artistic circles I gosh if you a lot were, of the young people here are funky, funky. those you young to, people sure are funky these days if you were to drive Sorry, not even 45 minutes west of here you would end up in the lancaster area of southern pennsylvania and i would i would wager there are a lot of more uh, there was a higher density of ostensibly straight and not artistic quote-unquote people 
in those regions. Oh, would you yeah. say that funk and population are inversely proportional in this setting? Where the yes. lower the population the lower, of an area, the lower the funkiness? So not inversely, yeah. but they correlate. <laughs> the lower the population, the lower the funkiness. The higher the population, the That's... higher the funkiness. I have a question. If some of the people from our area were to move into the Lancaster area, would that increase the funkitude of Lancaster? We would be more densely populating Lancaster. It's like, you know how there's gentrification? There's funkification. Okay, okay, okay. And then my last scientific question about this topic. If all of the, you know, little, like, areas that are, like, really sparsely populated were all together in one area, like, say, a Trump rally, would that be funky now? Because you know in a large... week they'd be tugging on each other's dicks. You know they would be. That's All true. the closeted straights would come out like bats out of a cave. You'd, you would you would <laughs> unleash something. God, oh yeah. my gosh. Good God, yeah. Uh, to, to keep talking about things nowadays, and I hope that we, kept, we keep talking about older countercultures and stuff like that um, through this conversation, but I just, I, I, now that we're here, I think it's interesting to live in the time that we do. Can you guys identify what the counterculture is today? I was unprepared for this question. Oh, unprepared. You live in the time. Well, you do know, your research I, every I day. Know, but I would have to sit here and think about it for a moment and then we would we, just have dead air. So I'm not out. You see, if, if we're talking about like our generation, so to speak, like our peers and such. Yeah. I feel like we live in a pretty decent time of acceptance of most things. I agree so, in like, some ways and disagree in other ways, but go ahead. Yeah, like, there's definitely still disagreements. Like, people aren't all super open-minded, but on the whole, like, at the very least in the circles I run in, people are very, like, accepting of each other. It's never like, oh, you're this? Sorry, we're not friends anymore, because that's not what I believe in. It's like, eh, you're entitled to your opinion. Uh, At I've this had point, different yeah. experiences. I think it definitely depends on. An... Obviously, every year that passes, the population gets fucking higher, and so you know, and we, funkier, and funkier, and we as the young people, um, you know, are experiencing the most densely populated and pluralistic time in American socio-political history. So there's going to be lots of examples of cultures and communities that are very accepting in America. There's also many cultures and communities that are not accepting in America. And if it had been five years ago, I would have been more eager to agree with you, Jerry, that we're at a time when, you know, the culture is leaning towards just being very accepting of a lot of different viewpoints and backgrounds and things like that. But the last four years or so have been, to me, quite demonstrative of um, certain pockets and communities in America that are not of a mind such as that. And now I've kind of, and I think a lot of other people have realized that the more exclusive areas in American culture and society um, do still exist, and certain political uh, representations and vicissitudes can awaken those communities and when they're given a platform we kind of backpedal so yes I'd say progress moves forward but it's not completely linear because we definitely took some steps back recently and that's just my take JT were you gonna say something the, 
I, I actually would. I don't remember what I was going to say. I don't care anymore. I would much rather piggyback off of what you said. But Jared, okay. you to go first. Yeah, the, the one thing I wanted to ask on the whole, because I feel like with the sort of alluding to past four years, we, we can just sort of take that veil off. Like, I think we think we know what we're talking about here with uh, certain individuals it's being big in power. And, orange, and... and its name rhymes with Donald Trump. Yeah. Not to, like, draw, like, got an age gap or anything like that, but I feel like, the, on the whole, the people who support the big buff Cheeto Puff uh, are not, on the whole, like, I keep saying on the whole, uh, as a generalized statement, are not in our, yeah, are, are not in our, like, immediate age group. You know, largely it's like largely an older crowd that supports him that is interesting you should say that because i have recently been thinking about how generational wars are very exacerbated right now i mean obviously we've only existed for a couple of decades so we don't have like very much to compare to and it's not like we're chock full of wisdom but i but i just think it's interesting and maybe somewhat unprecedented within the past 20 or 30 years that there's so much emphasis placed on the generational differences of specifically at this time baby boomers and millennials and zoomers and now you know generational designations and names and epithets are like used in casual conversation to describe groups of people and to describe like political dissonance and i don't think that existed as normally as it does now, as little as 20 years ago, where people are just saying, millennials just struggle with this and that, and the problem with society are the boomers thinking this and that. You know what I mean? And I've used boomers, like, ostentatiously yeah. on social media and have gotten read to filth by boomers who happen to be liberal, but I think it's actually just, you know, very, uh, it's very demonstrative that we've weaved that vocabulary, like, into our everyday vernacular. Okay, JT, I, th- I feel like you've been waiting to say something. <laughs> Sure, that's okay. Um, I don't remember. Oh no! <laughs> I'm gonna try. Um, oh yeah. So okay, so I was gonna talk about the last four years. Yeah. So I don't think it was necessarily linear in the same places, but I think in some for sure. I mean, you have people now who who are born into households and families where their person seemingly evolves right not just like in a in a more typical finding them so oh well turns out i you know i really like vinyl records you know or like oh man like i just guess tiramisu is my favorite dessert now you know it's like shit i don't think i'm a man i I don't get that i don't i don't identify with that penis having sure whatever i can't you know what am i gonna unscrew it put something else in there just like thread on a fucking light bulb or what? No, you know it, it. But like you have people that that feel physically dysmorphic in their bodies, you know, and dysphoric. and in the people that society tells them. Sorry, the word you were looking for. I, dysmorphic can be used, but I also think dysphoric is highly operative. That's probably what I meant to say. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Um, yes. Uh, any, anyways. Um. Yeah, so so, um, y- you know, you you have people going through something like that that years ago, um, would have been so unaccepted, and probably was so unaccepted in in you know people that were trying to find themselves and just just couldn't 
really do it because they weren't allowed because they weren't being taught these things. Um, they were, were rather were taught to to demonize these things. And, you know, you know, you have people who are who are coming out as as non-binary and pansexual and all these other you know funky things, um, bearing their their flags and whatnot. Um, whereas five years ago, I feel like the climate was different on that. Four years ago, even. Um, you know, I, I feel like I feel like in certain circles, a lot of progress has been made on that very quickly. I mean, you have men now wearing dresses and and painting their nails, and I feel like the the um, gender normative standards of of anyone is just being utterly destroyed right now, and it's only in certain pockets that people are really holding on to things. You know, to see the popular vote as high as it was for Donald Trump really like woke me up yeah. for sure um like this yeah no, 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 no absolutely like this past year i mean um but at the same time like i know what i'm seeing i know what i'm looking at um in the circles that i tend to to find myself in and they're loving and accepting and open and full of people of all shapes and sizes and and identities and and you know shit that wasn't even really considered to be a facet of of human uh condition before and now here we are i just i i just think at this point <clears throat> all of that has become so widespread and so integrated that the idea of a modern counterculture borders on like what's moral and what's not moral strictly Rather than like living your white bread American dream, picket fence, you know, breadwinner, father, whatever, everything, and then seeing that evolve slowly, um, you know, it, it's it's less so about what the status quo is, uh, what society expects of you, and more so at this point, like, okay, society has fucking accepted everything. It's like, how hard do you hate someone else? I feel like that's that's what the counterculture is now it's 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 things like it's things like pedophilia i feel like pedophilia is like a counterculture <laughs> to be to be frank well, it's always been a counterculture so okay um lots to unpack pedophilia sure. is obviously a very sensitive very um dramatic topic Needless to say, I really don't have to say this, but I'll, for clarification purposes, I will say every all three of us in here 100% condemn and despise pedophilia in all forms. Um, in every way. In every single way. is awful. But the thing that is bugging me right now about the commentary, it's been a very loud a sector like a very talked about thing especially recently especially with the advent of things like the QAnon conspiracy theories alt-right campaign rhetoric and propaganda and it's slated against a lot of um, politicians it's just very it's gotten a lot of exposure recently and a lot of people speaking of can you know we're so we're talking about um, culture being increasingly accepting and pedophilia has been commentated on 
as being conflated to in a lot of people's minds with the LGBT community. And that is a massive, massive misdirective thing. And um, it's a problem because people use such a horrible thing to conflate with the LGBT community and demonize them and villainize them, uh, villainize the community. And um, I, I think calling it counterculture, I mean, I don't know how I feel about that. I think it's, I don't know how I feel about that. I think the problem with it right now is that people think it's counterculture in a way that's analogous to the counterculture that was popular 60 years ago. And so in, in the minds of a lot of people, there's the LGBT community trying to normalize pedophilia, which is not the case. And that's used as like political cannon fodder. And I think that's awful because I can tell you <laughs> that the LGBT community does not claim pedophilia. Um, I didn't think we'd be talking about such a sensitive, but I think it's a conversation that is important. I think we should have these conversations. The, the LGBT community does not claim and does not condone pedophilia. And like, I honestly think when going back to, let's backpedal from that conversation and just kind of broaden it to what is counterculture now. Um, I don't, I, I don't come from, I don't think exactly the same perspective as JT and Jerry because I have um, been in a lot of communities over the past few years that are not as, um, that are much more homogenous and much more monocultural. I went to, I'm currently in my last year of college and I go to a, a, a school in Baltimore, but my first year of college I went to a school in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, which is in South Central Pennsylvania, and that's more in the, like I mentioned earlier, the Lancaster area where there's lots of cows and lots of cornfields and lots of, lots of, lots of white people. And it's very monocultural. And when I went there, Donald Trump had gotten elected. My first year of college was the year that Donald Trump first got elected. And the change in the air and in the culture I'm, was instantaneous. And there were support groups and support meetings around campus to deal with the problems that had suddenly combusted. And in one instance, uh, a young, uh, well, of course, a college student uh, who was in a fraternity testified that people, other students, were driving around in their pickup trucks with Confederate flags on them and saw this student walking on the sidewalk and yelled the F slur at him and heckled him for being the gay person in the fraternity. And that was, you know, old, that was less than five years ago. And that was a lot of what Gettysburg as a community was like. Lots of um, old-fashioned, bigoted white people, lots of Confederate flags. Now that I go to a school in Baltimore, that's a very uh, cultural city, and it's a melting pot of a lot of different kinds of people, and it's very artistic, and it's very awake, and it's very alive. So it's a very different thing, but I think it's easy for a lot of people that um, you know, have kind of lived in um, a specific area and a specific culture for a long time to say things are so much better now and like the counterculture is kind of like d dissolving into something more specific or something that you know because everybody is so accepting now and that was why I said like five years ago I might have agreed with that and I've since realized that 
that is not the case and there's and Donald Trump got you know 74 million votes there's still a lot of places in America where progress is needed needs to be had so like what is the counterculture now I guess it kind of depends on where you're from I guess it in, in a lot of ways but as it goes in like pop culture and just how would you surmise it in a way that's analogous to how it would have been surmised in the 1960s is just like an overall thing in America. I'm thinking the counterculture is like new wave feminism. It's, it, it does have a lot to do with like the LGBT community and it's things that are like our human rights that shouldn't even be political or shouldn't even have to be discussed that are being discussed and shouldn't even be counterculture. It's, it should be the cultural norm to accept everybody and this is another thing that I thought of earlier. I'm hearing a lot of people going, if the left, if the political left, and if the Dems, and if this, whatever name you want to use for the political end of the spectrum that the progressive people are on, are so accepting, why are they so hateful and loudly opposed? And so this, that, and the other thing, why are they so hateful and not accepting towards Trump supporters and Republicans and towards the right? And like, I, I, probably nobody that needs to hear this is going to listen. But of course, I think the answer that it should be common sense, but the answer to me is that intolerance cannot continue to be tolerated. It needs to be gotten rid of, so there needs to be commentary against that, and that's the, the level of division that you're seeing are people saying that basic human rights should not be political. And so we cannot accept people pushing back against common sense stuff like Black Lives Matter, don't rape women, stuff like that. And so, you know, is it counterculture? Policies on COVID. Exactly, yeah, definitely that too. The economy should not be more important than human lives. Like, I say it now, and it's like really basic, bottom line, easy, common sense. And America in particular, because of this rhetoric of like rugged individualism and America all about liberty and free and I can't have my freedom shrunk, whatever, is like really causing this massive pushback towards progressive paradigms. And, um, if it's gonna like, if you're gonna pick one side to be, what is the counterculture? Historically, counterculture has been the progressive side that's like, quote, ahead of its time. I, I don't necessarily know anymore. It's a very interesting, loaded, um, difficult question. But like, I think kind of what we're realizing is that like, um, there can be a lot of different perspectives on it because America is so pluralistic and there's so many different communities and there are places that are very accepting and very open about gender identity, about um, sexual orientation and race cultures and backgrounds and all of that and there are other places that i i saw a headline on facebook that was talking about how like 10,000 new refugees were going to be let into america under biden's administration and people were upset about that like so many people were upset about that i was like imagine being getting your tidy white getting your maga shorts and a bunch over this and people are are saying things like we need to worry about Americans before we worry about da, da 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 It's like that rhetoric, you know what I mean? And I'm not saying that there's just a blanketed solution to domestic versus foreign policy. I know that it's very complicated. But I think the idea in progressive circles is that people are people are people. That these, like, th these geographical lines are arbitrary and that we need to start. It's, it's enough with the white American nationalism. America should not be a place for only white cisgendered people. And so anyway, I'm definitely getting on my soapbox now, but it's just... It's, okay. it's a very wide topic. Um, so I don't know what the counterculture is, but I dis I guess what I, the whole, that was a very circumventive way of saying, like, I'm not really sure what the counterculture is right now, but I disagree that it's like pedophilia and stuff like that. And I think kind of, uh, 
having that paradigm might lead to some negative connotations about like things like the LGBT community and stuff like that. That's just, I don't know. I feel like I've been talking for a long time. (laughs) That's okay. No, and I definitely did not mean to make any insinuations like that. Um, but if I could, if I could be honest, I think what you said kind of to me made my point, uh, you know, so whereas to say something like what I said might be very like, well, what, what do you mean by that? And that generally isn't ended with, oh, well, now I know what you mean by that. You know, I understand that. I'm receptive to that. Um, but it, what I was more so getting at is is it doesn't come down to, um, you know, differences in cultural norms anymore. It's it's I feel like it's definitely down to your acceptance in a human person, a different human person other than your own. And I feel like what we call what we could call counterculture right now doesn't doesn't have such a simple easy oh well it's the blue-haired people or uh, you know it's the the fight of uh whites you know it's <laughs> i don't know i feel like maybe in 15 20 years we'll look back oh yeah it makes sense it was those them those guys you know but right now it's it's if everything is too stringent on like principles of morality that it's it's not like oh well there go there goes those extreme people it's like you have so many people on both sides i guess and i i mean we know we we have a feeling on what side is probably correct to us you know but i i will digress i guess the hang up for me and like part of me launching on that whole tirade was that in my brain counterculture has is like almost analogous definitionally with like progressive circles and obviously um people who are like pedophiles and stuff are not progressive they're just horrible that's just a horrible thing it's not progress it's not nothing to do with progress it's just awful um so i guess like yeah it obviously depends on who you ask if it has nothing to do with progressive paradigms and policies and being ahead of your time or whatever then it could be um just pockets of people that most of society looks at and wags the finger and says no no thank you please go elsewhere please stop sure please cease to exist you know what i mean um, but yeah, if you well, do conflate counterculture with progressivism, obviously the answer is going to be different. Sorry, go ahead. Got you. Uh, well, I was going to say, um, I'm looking right now at the, the Wikipedia definition of counterculture. It says, a counterculture is a culture whose values and norms of behavior differ substantially from those of mainstream society, sometimes diametrically opposed to mainstream cultural... Uh, it says mores? I think they meant mores. I don't know what else. More. That's, that Ooh, word is, I can read. That word is mores. Got it. Um. So, like, okay, yeah. Let's. So, let's take a look at the um, punk movement in the seventies and eighties. You know, you had some people um, who were a part of all of that. That were just very um, anti-conservative um, policy and, and and that type of thing. And you had a lot of other people too who really painted the the um the picture that everybody else saw of the punk movement as like being these crazy spiky haired leather bound plaid anarchist um arson whores who just wanted nothing more than to watch the world burn from the inside of the white house to the out um and there were a lot of people from my understanding that definitely assimilated with that ideology, but at the same time also 
it wasn't the whole thing, but but that's what that's what people saw. That, and and that that made up a good bit of it. You know, let's let's take a look at it now. Let's see what the Wikipedia has to say. You, you know, it, it it really is like a diverse sort of set of ideas. It wasn't like, oh, well, if you were punk, it you know, then you were this. And I think the idea of what punk is has evolved so much. There's a guy on TikTok. Forgive me, I don't know his name. Um, but to him, what he says, um, punk is for everyone unless you aren't. You know, it's 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 basically yeah. Um, which wasn't necessarily the idea back then. Um, okay, so punk, punk political ideologies are mostly concerned with individual freedom and anti-establishment views. Common punk viewpoints include individual liberty, anti-authoritarianism, a DIY ethic, nonconformity, anti-collectivism, anti-corporation, anti-government, direct action, and not selling out. Okay. Um, meaning to not um, compromise your inner like individuality for a greater uh, extrinsic extrinsic gain for oh just be yourself you know what i'm kind of noticing as i think about it a pattern with counterculture or maybe i should just say progressivism and not counterculture but like with these kinds of um i guess i could say counterculture whatever these kinds of movements and i started so you're you're talking about punk and it's all about um individuality and uh sticking it up to the man and it kind of reminds me correct of like the beat generation from the 1950s which is something i meant to bring up earlier but um that was another just another example of like countercultural um movements um that like the the beatniks were like a group of young people in like the 1950s and early 1960s who were using literature to kind of stick it up to the man and it was all against you know um materialism and i think that is kind of linked in many ways to capitalism and i think there's a long-standing pattern of counterculture um either intentionally or not being against materialism and capitalism and it and so i kind of think punk and 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 i know which which is a thing that a lot of people from many decades uh, identify with in some way but it, it seems like a lot of it is about being anti-materialism, anti-superficiality, anti-industry and capitalism and stuff like that. And that that's and I noticed that now there's a lot of probably more than ever. And again, we're only in our 20s, so it's hard to say, but there's a lot of commentary against things like industrialization and capitalism and the newest moniker right now that the young people like to use is eat the rich. And I kind of wonder <laughs> people who are punk, what their views on those more pragmatic um political economic takes are you know what i mean maybe punk people a lot of them are like anarcho-socialists i don't know well so i i got into punk music much before i i learned what the punk ideology and lifestyle was was um fashioned to be um but through that and through speaking to my mother who uh lived in and breathed it in her time hi, um uh, hi, hi mom she doesn't know i do this uh-huh. i could not bear to 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 know what we, that she knows what i say on here that would be very funny um <laughs> regardless yeah it, so a lot of it was very um 
anarchist, very not like, hey, less government, but like no government. Yeah. Um, you know, and a, a lot of people, a lot of people branded themselves as punk. Um, and then later, retrospectively, the modern form of the movement rejected them. So like in the, in, um, the instance of Gigi Allen, do we know anything about Gigi Allen? I do not. We're about to. So Gigi Allen was a musician in the um, 70s, 80s, 90s. He was a singer. Um, and he was well known for just being very naughty at his shows, um, doing a lot of really fucked shit. Was he um, American? A true disregard for human life. Yes. Um, he would strip down, he would get naked, he would shit in his hand, he would fling his feces, he would pee on people, uh, he would attack people in the crowd, he raped people in, a, in the crowd, um, and that was to be expected. That was, like, the norm. Like, people knew that going there. It wasn't like, wow, this dipshit's just doing all this crazy stuff all of a sudden. But no, like, people knew that that was going to happen. People were into that. I can't believe he was, like, allowed to, like, continue doing that. He was arrested a lot. Okay, that that's, I got it. I, I was For sure. wondering about that detail. Yeah, right, right. Um, um, and, and also the, the way a lot of that stuff was handled judicially back then, I think, is really different now. You know, and I, I don't think a lot of people who went to Gigi Allen's shows were so ready to press charges against him. You know, I don't think that was something they were ready to do or wanted to do if something like that were to happen to them. Like I said, they kind of knew what was going to happen, what could happen. Um, but he played, quote-unquote, punk music. He played that genre of music. Um, and uh, he, at a certain point, overdosed on heroin. Um, at a concert? But, but no, 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 at a, like a some pl- kind of bad place that like people don't want to go to i'd imagine like a dirty cardboard box or an alleyway maybe a, a an older carton of milk he overdosed heroin in an over in, a, in an old carton of milk i think he did regardless um back to uh world life so he 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 had this idea of like fuck everything fuck money fuck um the police Fuck the government. Fuck literally all things. He's like, you will take from the world what you want. If you want something, go fucking take it. If you want it from me, you better come and get it. You know? Um, This sounds like almost a very, like, violent, very ostentatious and energetic form of, like, nihilism. Yeah, to a point. He was fully a monster. irate stepbrother that the family doesn't talk to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, here we go. So, um, <laughs> punk nihilism was expressed in the use of harder, more self-destructive, consciousness-obliterating substances like heroin or methamphetamine, um, and he thoroughly uh, exuded all of that, with or without heroin. I don't know that he did meth. 
doesn't matter. But that was his thing. He was on um, Jerry Springer once. Uh, he identified as a punk. He looked like a punk. He played punk music. Nowadays, the punk mu- um, movement fully rejects him. Hmm. Him and um, him and Sid Vicious, mm-hmm. who um, played bass for the Sex Pistols, who would often um, kick people in the audience and just just be like a like a raucous asshole. Um, you know, it's it's like peop- the punk movement back then was just fuck stuff. Yeah, fuck your stuff in varying amounts. Nowadays, it's it's different. If if present at all, I don't know any people who were like, yeah, I'm punk. I don't know people like that. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely changed. And nowadays, they don't say he's a punk, despite the fact that he was in one of the most formative punk bands coming out of that movement. Same with Johnny Rotten. No one cares about Johnny Rotten, who sang for the Sex Pistols. Um, but yeah, you know, punk yeah, has changed. That's very interesting. I feel like the onset of these new ideologies comes with extremism, inevitably. And we kind of got to figure out as a culture where the lines need to be drawn. And I will say generally, as just a kind of universal you know, axiom here, to my fellow young, funky people please um, express yourselves, but um, be responsible and take care of yourselves and take care of your shit and like be funky, but, but don't be too funky to the extent that your funkiness gets beyond some, it's like more than funky, like destructive to yourself and others. You can be anarchist and you can be all these fun, new, innovative things. um, Definitely. And we're all about acceptance, but it kind of ties back into uh, there are maybe certain things that are not acceptable. And you just just think about it. Just think about that. That's all I'm saying. You know what I mean? Just think about if it. You d- if you don't have respect for yourself, coupled with respect for others, then your idea of funk isn't groovy enough for us. Yeah. It's not truly funky. It's not actual funk. It's, it's actually just... Um, Junk, <laughs> junkie. Yes, when you get fucking junkie. <laughs> We're all about funk, but not about junk. Absolutely, funk me up. Hell yeah, let's get the funk out of here, dude. Let's if, funk. You would guess want to funk each hi, other. Hi everybody. Hi, hey, Jerry. Who's that? A There's a third voice. <laughs> hey, hello. <laughs> Listen, y'all were grooving. Funk. I was vibing. I was just absorbing the funk and merely wanted to say that if I was to put a title on this episode, it'd be <laughs> Funkitude and the Laws of Pluralism. I like it. Or, or would, would it be Funkification? Uh, funkification. That's go. it. Yeah. Funkification and the Laws of Pluralism. Versus gentrification. <laughs> Um, uh, um, Liam Payne is the weakest member of One Direction. That's what I would call it. Liam Payne? Is yeah, he's one of the members of One Direction. Yeah. Fully the weakest member to me. Uh, okay. I, I like glad Zane. he was there. Uh, Zane? Uh, I, I li- think that there's... Okay. Is there four or five? There's four, there's right? There's five. There's five? Five. There's five? Are you sure? Okay, so the, the the starting members of One Direction were Harry Styles, 
Zayn Malik or Malik. I don't know. I've actually never heard it pronounced. Um, Louis Tomlinson, Niall Horan, and Liam Payne. Yeah, I thought there were Lou, four. Um, go ahead. At a certain point, there were four. So Zayn left a tour mid tour. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Well, he left and was like, fuck it, dude. I'm doing my own. You know, whatever. And then um, they kept the the one directioners kept on that direction and um they made another one, album they kept going one direction correct yep um my my hair growth coincided with harry styles hair growth and i did not know who he was or much gave a shit at the time mm-hmm. about this man but retrospectively i'm just very happy to know that him and i had that journey at the same time um I'm not done mine. He fucking fully dropped off three years ago. He does what he wants. Definitely not long hair hair anymore. It was the dominant form of Harry. Regardless, yes, Leah Payne is not my favorite. You know what? I don't like his tattoos. That is completely fair. You're his voice is underwhelming. I don't agree or disagree because I really don't even know what they sound like individually. But you, that you should mention, we got to end here in a little bit because I think it's been a little over an hour now. But... I do want to mention Harry Styles. I think this is interesting that you mentioned him because he's been very much in the headlines and current events recently. I actually think we talked about this a couple uh, episodes ago where he posed for Vogue in a we dress did. We did. and upset a whole bunch of like old conservative, not even old, just a whole bunch of conservative people because Candace Owens. Candace Owens fucking 30. Yeah, she's young. Um, she's a spokesperson. A lot of people regard her as a spokesperson specifically for black conservatism in America. And she got her little uh, tidy whities in a bunch on social media about Harry Styles wearing a dress and just recently I had a run-in on the the book the book of faces where I just pointed out how women are you know have a, a propensity because of cultural norms to underestimate their physical strength and that causes an over-reliance on masculine attributes as pinpoints of strength and bravery when in reality uh women are capable of much more than society makes them out to be capable of. And I think that's changing a lot. I think that's changing a lot. But but it's been historically the case. And somebody was like, mistook my meaning and was like, you know, thank God for manly men. Like, because I, because, okay. The video was, people got, there was a dog stuck in a canal and people formed a human chain to get him out, but they were all men and they needed like one more person for the human chain and like there were a bunch of women standing around and not a single one of them stepped in to help when all it would have taken was one of them. And, it, and I guess because, like, they were women, they thought it wasn't their place to, like, do this physical act of strength and bravery. And I was like, ladies, please don't underestimate your strength. Like, you, you can, don't be afraid to step in. And this woman was like, I know, right? The left is waging this war on manly men now, and they don't want manly men anymore. And, like, thank God we have strong, brave men. And I was like, okay. And I was, you, I tend to get kind of, na- I admit I tend to get kind of nasty on social media, but I was nice this time. And I was like, so you mistook my meaning. What I'm trying to say is that manly men is like an outdated concept and gender norms are silly and women are stronger than society gives them credit for and they have out of the cultural propensity to underestimate their strength and I have no problem with feminine men whatsoever and so on and so forth. And she was like, well, the problem is that these people that are against manly men still expect men to do things that require strength and bravery. And like the whole thing was... Needless to say, I think we all understand the idea is that to insinuate that strength and bravery are masculine attributes exclusively undermines the potential that women have. And that's what I tried to like explain to her, but I was like, oh my god, I'm like fully encountering one of these like cryptids that 
still believes in like 1950s gender norms. And maybe in a way, Harry Styles wearing a dress and inciting this commentary is something countercultural. Or maybe the people who are against it are at this point countercultural. I don't know. It's interesting, but that you should mention Harry Styles, I think, is actually fits very well into this conversation, is what I'm trying to say. So. Indeed. Um, and thank God he did it. He looked great, to be very honest. Gorgeous dress. Gucci. He's a big fan of Gucci. I think he's, very, um, he's being very, like, he's kind of evoking Prince these days with the androgyny. I think that could be a whole episode on its own, kind of how gender norms have fluctuated, especially in the musical sphere. Um, Little Richard and Prince and Boy George and so many others. And Andy Lennox on the opposite end of the spectrum wearing suits and ties in her music video. Very, like, interesting stuff. So, but so, I'm sorry. Absolutely. But I love no, that. that's fine. I uh, do we do we do we want to do that next episode? We can do that next episode. Yeah, you guys can look forward to oh, a, a whole conversation great. about um, yeah. how conceptualizations of gender have changed in American pop culture and in international oh. pop culture. I'm so excited to go hard on this. Absolutely, Absolutely. fuck yeah. yeah. Me too. Um, well, on that note, does anybody have any last words before we uh, reveal our inner sanctities and sign off? Uh. My last words are, I completely forgot what I said at the beginning of the video. Um, um, oh god, um, <laughs> JT, do you know? I don't remember either. Did you say anything? I remember mine. I remember mine. Yeah, he did. I said sure something. Did. I can't remember what it was. Forgive me, everybody. Yeah, I've been awake Jerry. for a very long time. Why don't we... J JT and I will we'll talk about ours, and then hopefully you'll remember yours in the meantime. Yeah, yeah. Look. That's a lot of hope. Maybe what about... I don't know. Well, let's, here we go. Let's go for it. So you can't feel the yeah. same spot on both both your feet? That is what I claimed. Like, there's a spot uniformly on both your feet that has no, like, the nerve endings just don't work. They're kaput. Correct. That is what I mean to insinuate. Um, I'm going with that's a lie. I'm going to say... I don't know, that's weird. I'm going to say it's true. Why? It's... um, I You seem to... I The past couple times you talked about your body, they were true. I'm going to say it's a pattern here. Uh, <laughs> I'm, going, I'm going with it's a lie. Because okay, I feel true. like that would have come up in topic. Really, you just... You just kept that one. You sat on that one. I never came out. I don't often sit on my feet, but sometimes, yeah. Um, so here's uh, – I, I mean, are you screen recording? There's no way people can see what we're uh -huh. doing. I mean, I'm screen recording, but I, there's no way to publish, like, the video. Uh, so here's my foot, right? JT here's the ankle. Uh-huh. This, this is skin right here yeah. that I fully can't feel. That's And weird. it's it's on – it's on both of my feet. That is strange. I wonder why that is. Yeah. Me too. Um, I may. Okay, mine. You was... claim to have punched a mall Santa. Correct. True. Yeah, I don't think you did. You think I'm lying, JT? Yeah, I think I think uh, if you did, you were very young. But my final my final answer is no. You fucking did not. I... I'm going with the very young thing. I did not punch a mall Santa that I remember. Oh, damn it. Ooh. You're over for two, Jerry. Yeah. That feels good. <laughs> that feels I can't good. remember what, I'm, what I said, but I'm pretty sure it was true. <laughs> okay, we'll go with 
That's all you do is um, roll, roll back the tapes. In, insert what I said here. Is that a thing we can do? Is that, is that a... I can't. I don't know. If I feel like There's it. There's no tape. If I feel like it. Other than that, if I don't do it, just go back to the beginning and whatever Jerry said we can go with is true. And that's all you'll ever know. I'm pretty sure it was true. I'm so mad by that. I can't remember what yeah. you said. All right. Whatever. I can't remember what I said either. <laughs> all right. I. Jerry's Ooh. having a bit of a hard time this morning. He's a tired. He's a tired I've, boy. Well, Listen, That's I've right. been I've been up for about twenty three hours at this point, and I feel like I brought a lot to the table today. I, Jerry, <laughs> you're always an, a highly valued participant. Yeah, Absolutely. I I'm here to, to to look good and shake ice in the mic, but I don't have any ice, so I just look good. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I'll have to. I'll to get a, a whole. I'll get a whole two pound bag to make up for the past couple of episodes. And I'll just smash it on my desk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sounds good. So tune in next week to hear that. Thank you everybody so much for listening. Mm-hmm. We really appreciate your wrapped attention. Thanks, dude. Thanks so much. This has been an uncommon sense, and we are signing off. Tune in next week. Goodbye. Hey. Hey. Hey.